God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. By this, men and women will know that you are my disciples. On the way here this morning, I bought a paper. Um, It's the Jerusalem Times in the time of Jesus. I'm just wondering what it says here. Well, oh goodness me, I get fed up dealing with Cameron Clegg and Farage and all the others all arguing. But here there are plenty of arguments because it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees are arguing. You remember the Pharisees, there they are, a group of about 6,000 people and an influential group, but they're so concerned about the law, so concerned that you must be very precise. It doesn't matter really what time, what you, what you do outside church. You've got to be here by 10.30. That's what the law says. Come here at 10.30, but outside, doesn't matter what you do. And they believed in an afterlife. But they were always arguing with the Sadducees, who didn't believe in an afterlife. The Sadducees, an influential group, a group who wanted power and influence and they thought yes you know I'm a good Christian if I have um, power and influence whereas the Pharisees the law's got to be absolutely right and for example if you must um, uh, take it easy on the Sabbath what does that mean what about a journey if I go on a journey is that working ah well if you go more than about 2,000 cubits about a thousand yards um, that's a journey breaking the laws of the Sabbath mustn't do that oh goodness me And if you've got um, strings, well, that's all right for women to to sort out the strings around their dresses or uh, for your wine caskets. Yes, that's fine, but don't go near the fishing nets or the camels. And so it went on and on. But they were always arguing with each other. The Sadducees thought there was no afterlife um, at all. Not only were they arguing with each other, full in the paper, but also they were arguing with Jesus. But one day, and we read this very clearly in Matthew's Gospel, one day the Sadducees thought, right, we'll we'll go out, we'll we'll sort Jesus out, we'll we'll ask him a question he can't possibly answer. And uh, if you read in Matthew's Gospel, the question was quite a difficult one, really. It was based on the custom, how much it was actually fulfilled is another matter, but the custom that if um, a woman marries a man, the eldest brother of a group of brothers, and he dies, there are no children, then she is expected to marry the second brother, and so on, third brother, etc. So the question the Sadducees asked Jesus was, now Jesus, look, there's a man here and he's got seven sons, and this woman comes along, marries the first, she dies, Uh, He dies, rather, uh, and then she marries the second son, and he dies, so she marries the third son, and so on, until in the end she's married all seven sons, and then she dies. Now, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, whose widow is she then? I bet you can't answer that, can you? Well, of course, Jesus could answer that. Along the lines, and do read in Matthew's Gospel, but it's along the lines that you're assuming that heaven is an extension of the earth, and it's not. It's quite different quite different. And the Pharisees, they obviously, they went away, or Sadducees went away a bit concerned. Jesus had mocked them. He'd really answered the question that they thought was impossible to answer. 
And so the Pharisees took up. And it's interesting, if you read Matthew, you get the impression that, well, the, the Pharisees thought, hmm, ha, Jesus um, has nobbled the Sadducees, we'll ask him something, and we'll show we're top dog. If, on the other hand, you read Mark's version, it's slightly different. And Mark suggests that the Pharisees thought Jesus had answered so superbly in such an articulate fashion, they would ask him a very serious question. Now, which of these is right doesn't really matter much. The question, as we all know, was, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus answered, as we all remember, I'm sure, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I guess in the audience at the time, they were saying, oh, Jesus, we've heard all that before. Come on, you know. The first part is in Deuteronomy. Um, the Jewish Sharma, even to this day, starts with words to that effect, that love the Lord your God. And the other words, love your neighbours yourself, they were the laws of the land. They were in Leviticus. So tell us something new, Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus did. And he said... Two things, let me say to you. First of all, the two are linked. You can't love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength unless you are loving your neighbour as yourself. And the second thing he said was, well, your neighbour is everyone in need. Oh, oh, we haven't heard this before, they said. And they were really quite taken aback. Is that what love really means? As I mentioned earlier, that I think if we think about love often at marriage or funeral services, frequently 1 Corinthians 13 is read. What seems interesting, it follows 1 Corinthians 12. It's not quite as stupid as that sounds. 1 Corinthians 12, as you'll remember probably, talks about the different gifts, the different qualities which we all bring and which are all needed in the church. But 1 Corinthians 13, about love, emphasises no matter what gifts we bring, whatever talents, whatever we do, whether we give out the books, we play music, or whatever, unless we do it with Christian love, it ain't worth anything. And I think that's very salutary, the position that 1 Corinthians 13 comes in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In Jesus' time, there were three Greek words for love. The first is eros. Remember Piccadilly Circus, statues and all that? Um, Eros, passionate lovemaking. Storge, a sort of dutiful lover for your parents. But here, of course, we're talking about love. Agape, for your fellows, your other people. And as we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, not just our friends, not just those who worship the same football team or same club or whatever. It's for all people, particularly those uh, in need. Whenever I read 1 Corinthians 13, I don't know whether you're like me, but you think, how can one ever possibly live up to all the comments without envy, without a catalogue of errors? How many times does your wife leave some shoes in the way or anything? Oh, I mustn't, I mustn't. You know, you really, one mustn't have that sort of attitude. It's not a matter of, um, of just what can I get out of love, it's the responsibility which one shows to it as well. 
But then as we remember the parable of Good Samaritan, when Jesus was explaining very clearly who one's neighbour actually is. You remember the story only too well. Here was this rocky path between Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem some 2,300 feet above sea level, Jericho about 1,300 feet below sea level, and therefore a long path about 20 miles long. I gather today it's a five-lane highway, so the whole thing, you know, the whole image is destroyed. But in Jesus' time, a place, a rocky path with lots of um, caverns or lots of places where robbers would hide. And no sensible person would ever go down there on his or her own. But you remember how this person clearly had gone down on his own and there he was lying in the gutter when various people came past. Do you remember the first person? And why these other people were on their own? Well, that's another question which might be more difficult to answer, but these others were on their own as well, it seems. Here we have the priest, and he just walks past. Oh, oh, goodness me, I'm going to be late for the service if I stop. And apart from which, if the person's dead, I have to be in quarantine for seven days or so. So he didn't stop. Then we know the Levite thought it was a trick, as frequently it was. Oh, the robbers would have one of their number lie down, so when the person went to tender them, other robbers beat them up. So the Levite, he passed, and no, no, I'm not stopping, I'm not risking it being, um, being a trick. And the third person, as we all remember, who may or may not have been a Samaritan, we're not quite sure, but he was someone different maybe a different colour, maybe from a different town, different caste, worshipped at a different church, whatever it may be, we just don't really know. But he was someone that we wouldn't expect to have stopped. And as we all know, um, he did. I wonder whether you or I would stop in that sort of situation, whether we would be willing to go out of our way for someone maybe who'd caused trouble to themselves. We think, well, for goodness sake, they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in the position they are now. Interesting, I think, Paul's letter to the Romans. When you remember he was on his third journey and uh, um, he was in Corinth and he wrote to the Romans, the only one of Paul's letters looking forward, all the others either look back, haven't you heard what I said, or to people. But Paul's letter to the Romans was different. It looked forward. This is what I'm going to tell you when I do come. This is my thesis. And in it he's very clear. Unlike the Pharisees, as we said earlier, who said, you've got to be here by half past ten, doesn't matter what you do outside. Paul was saying to the Romans exactly the opposite. Of course, going to church is important. Of course, reading the Bible is important. But what really matters is what we do when we go outside. Are we the loving person? Are we the good Samaritan? I wonder how many of us are into New Year resolutions. I'm not quite sure that I am, so I always know I break them. But um, if you are, may I suggest um, a New Year resolution? Because love, surely, for us as Christians, is in three parts, isn't it? First of all, knowing that God loves us. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation, however difficult, all very well we're having a nice party, and we've said already turkeys and so on for Christmas, to say, oh yes, I'm, you know, God's super, isn't he? treating me very well. But I wonder when things get more difficult, when we have a problem of some sort. I wonder then whether we are aware that God loves us. Yes, he does concern. He's working his purpose out. He loves us no matter what in any situation. And secondly, I wonder whether we love him in every situation when things get difficult. And thirdly, I wonder 
rather like the Good Samaritan, I wonder whether we're prepared to love each other. The person who dents our car in Sainsbury's car park, especially the new car park, but anyway, that's another story, isn't it? But a situation that you think, how can I possibly love that person who did that or said that or forgot to send me whatever? And so I wonder, with our new year coming up, just a day or two, I wonder whether each of us, certainly I'll do my best, fail miserably, no doubt, do my best to have a three-part resolution, to remember that God loves me, to try and love God as he would wish, and thirdly, to love my neighbour as myself. Amen.